Hello hockey fans and welcome to the podcast. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast and today along with Chris Litza, my name is Mark Warner and we're going to be looking at the Metropolitan Division as we go forward. Hockey is back, the players are on the ice and not a minute too soon. We've been waiting for this all year. So let me bring in Chris. Tom isn't going to be with us today but me and Chris are going to try and hold down the fort here. Uh, the Metropolitan Division is home ice for Chris so I'm sure he's going to have a lot of a lot of insight into what's going on out there, more so than me. Uh, so let me welcome Chris in. Chris, once again, welcome to the show. Good to have you. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, glad to be about the Metro. Absolutely. Well, we're going to start off with a segment. Uh, we're going to call it Around the League from now on. So here we go. Uh, first up. Some news out of the Metropolitan Division. Brock Nelson re-signing at the 11th hour with the New York Islanders. And then following that, uh, Michael Grabner traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs for five prospects. Chris, what do you make of those two deals? Take them in any order that you like. Yeah, I, you know, uh, a lot of Islander fans, as the summer wore on, was, were getting nervous about the whole Brock Nelson situation. Like, why is this not done yet? Um, Brock Nelson was a was a restricted free agent, but with no arbitration rights, which kind of limited him his negotiating power. Uh, I guess he wasn't thrilled with the uh, bridge deal the Islanders offered. Uh, both sides kind of played status quo, and actually, looking at the looking back on it now, it was only inevitable that it was going to be weighed waited until the last day, to where both where you know that was going to be whatever leverage that Nelson had in terms of getting the best deal that he. Um, that that was how it was going to, looking back on it. And like in many walks of life, when we see contract negotiations, uh, the real talks don't start until about a day or two before the deadline. But having said that, all that with the Islander policy of if you're not in camp, uh, the start of camp uh, that morning, uh, you're you're not playing for the Islanders uh, for that season. And uh, they instituted that uh, once with Schoenberg and I a few number of years ago. Uh, many moons ago, I should say. But having said all that, uh, I felt confident, even though that there was a lot of anxiety, a deal would get done. And the reason I felt confident, just like in any contract negotiations, when you have two sides, and each side has a lot to lose if a deal is not struck, nine times out of ten, a deal will be struck. Uh, from an Islander perspective, uh, everyone's ex- they are very excited about the upcoming season. They're moving into a new building. Uh, they have new ownership that's, you know, technically they're not the majority owners yet, but all things are pointing upwards. The last thing they wanted was one of their good young players who they view as a poor player. Uh, keep in mind, they o- they offered Brock Nelson a seven-year deal in the spring. Now, I don't know the details in terms of how rich the seven-year was. I'm sure it was a pretty good deal, but he opted to go more shorter term. Um, so they, they, they viewed him as, that's the last thing that they wanted. Uh, they do. They do have incredible depth at forward. So if, if that scenario played out, they could have someone else take his place. But that's that's not how they wanted this season to start. From Nelson's standpoint, you know, at this stage of the game, going to Europe with a K, would, it would not have been good for his career. Right? He had probably think a lot more to lose than the Islanders. So they they uh, worked out a three year deal, uh, two and a half million a year. It averages out to. 
And I think everyone got what they wanted. Uh, it, uh, the Islanders uh, from uh, Nelson's camp, they used uh, the Wilds, Gramland, and uh, the Canadians, uh, uh, uh salaries. He didn't get what they were getting. To be honest with you, he's not at the same, not on the level that those guys are, I believe, yet, most people would say. But he got a salary that's in their neighborhood. And then for the Islanders, they got an extra year in their bridge deal. You know, like most bridge deals, like you saw with Jonathan Huberdeau on the same day, uh, these, these talented young players who, who uh, are RFAs for the first time without arbitration rights, they usually get a two, it's a two-year bridge deal, and then they'll hit uh, arbitration rights so that this summer with a number of players, including the Rangers, Derek Stepan. Uh, the Islanders got an extra year out of, out of it. So their bridge deal was three years. So uh, it was a very sad, it was, that's a very savvy move in terms of salary cap, uh, in terms of one sal- managing one salary cap ma- and managing it effectively, which we've talked about in the past, which the Islanders have been very good at. Um, by signing Brock Nelson and making sure he was sound and secure in tow, it opened the door to move Michael Grabner, who uh, was the Islanders' uh, 13th forward. Um, he's had some good years for the Islanders. He's been injured and inconsistent the last couple. So in the last year of his deal, um, he his cap hit is only $3 million this year, but his actual salary, uh, his contract was backloaded. He signed a five-year, $15 million deal. Right. His actual salary was uh, $5 million this year. So the Islanders gained... Cap space, uh, cap space, cap flexibility, payroll flexibility. I got to be honest with you. Uh, when I read that he was traded yesterday for five players to Toronto, my n- initial inclination was like, "Well, these five players can't be any good. How the heck can Toronto trade five players to Michael Grabner for one year?" But from what I read, not that the Islanders are going to get any superstars out of this deal. A couple of players to keep an, keep an eye on for the future that could help the Islanders and have a chance to be what I would call, you know, possible, really good, you know, secondary player. So I thought it was a good deal for them. Um, I'm not, Toronto must have something else going on. Uh, they basically wanted to move these contracts, if you will. So, uh, and then by trading Grabner, it opened up a roster spot, and the PTO that they signed with Steve Bernier turned into a one-year deal. So, yep. in essence, Bernier replaces Grabner. So at the end of the day, the Islanders, even though Bernie is a different player than Grabner, uh, he had a good year last year. I was, I was kind of surprised that he parted ways with New Jersey. We were dying at the board position. But be that as it may, um, he, you know, uh, they, they, they did not lose uh, any depth. Bernie takes Grabner's spot, and they gained uh, cap flexibility, payroll flexibility, and they added five uh, young players. All the players that they added are be- between the ages of, Four of the five players are between the ages of 20 and 22, and they will be going to the AHL teams, uh, the Islanders AHL team, the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. So they'll be a phone call away, so they get some depth down there too. So all in all, it was a it was a good couple of days for the Islanders. I think one of the no- two two of the no- notable players coming back in that deal, uh, Taylor Beck. Uh, he's he played 62 games with the Preds last year, 24 years old. So he's got. He's got a good chance to be a, a good depth player. And then Chris Gibson at one time was a really highly touted uh, young goaltender, and he's still only 22, and then he's been moved a couple times. Right. But uh, if you get him in the system, he could he could, poten- he could potentially end up 
uh, either a, a nice asset to be moved a little later if uh, his time in the A shows he's back on his game or even, you know, who knows, come up as a backup goalie at some point in in the future. So not a bad deal, not a bad deal there at all, I think, for the Islanders. Yeah, and the key guy I think they liked in this deal was uh, Verici, uh, who's 20 years old. Uh, Gord Snow, I saw a quote today, compared him to a younger version of Casey Sezikis. Uh, I see that. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, and also they picked up a def- uh, one of the defensemen they picked up. They picked up two forward two for defensemen in the goalie. They almost picked up a line. Yeah, no, uh, no but, doubt. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the defensemen they picked up, uh, uh, the defenseman they picked up, Finn, who's 21 years old, who was drafted, I think, three years ago. I believe he was either a second or third round pick, and I was reading a, uh, another Islander columnist for WFAN, um, one Mr. Daniel Freeman, who was excellent. And he was saying back when he was drafted, he was somebody he had his eye on. And, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, again, with these players, you never know how it's going to play out. Uh, even if these players don't amount to anything, uh, the steel works really well for the Islanders. Uh, if, if, if one of these five players just winds up being, like I said, uh, a, 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 a solid player for them down the road, I mean, this deal is, you know, beyond ridiculous for them. So uh, I think, uh, you know, Islander fans like Michael Grabner, he has some skill. You know, he uh, will be interesting to see his game and and Mac uh, play for Mike Babcock. But um, you know, it sounds like there could be some rumblings going on in Toronto with maybe some moves. But you know, I guess we'll we'll save that to uh, to to see uh, that actually happens. I've heard Tyler Bozak's name's been been kicking around or whatnot. But um, yeah, good couple days for the Islanders. Well, they well, they freed up uh, Toronto. I'm speaking of freed up four roster contract spots. And they have a couple veterans. Yeah, they, they have a couple veterans in their camp on on tryout agreements too. So if one of those guys works out, that gives that gives Toronto the versatility to sign one of the veterans that they have in camp on a tryout agreement. So probably a good deal. And they get a roster player for sure in Grabner, who if he comes back to his to his 2011 season and and pumps in 30 goals, uh, that's not going to hurt them any either. So probably a good good deal for both teams. Let's uh, yeah. let, let's go on to some of the off the ice off the ice news now we got uh let's go to just quick quickly patrick kane is in camp he had a press conference yesterday uh pretty awkward all around he says he's going to be exonerated when all the information comes out but he is going to be in camp uh probably i mean they're all professional athletes but the the distractions involved with with the media and the questions and you know you, you see it all, every time something like this happens is they don't worry about so much once once the the focus of the thing says i've said all i can say it's an ongoing legal matter and i can't contract con comment on it under advice from lawyers then they start making the rounds to all the teammates and the executives uh how is this going to distract you and and the distraction is the media in in town and not just here when he starts traveling to other cities the longer this drags out which maybe we had reports from espn and a couple different outlets that the grand jury is going to be deciding one way or another whether to charge him or not hopefully by the end of the month um so it might get a quicker resolution if they do charge him i'm pretty sure he'll be suspended but until then uh how do you think that affects the blackhawks focus on the ice as they get ready to defend their stanley cup championship yeah it's definitely 
you know, as you know, it's hard enough as it is. Um, and this is going to be a big spotlight. And, uh, you know, not just from the sports media, but, you know, anything, the bigger, you know, as time goes, this is a big story. I mean, you have one of the best players in the NHL um, being investigated for extremely serious crime who is going to be playing in the league while this is going on. I mean, you're not just going to see this story um, in the Chicago newspapers or, you know, or the hockey news. You're going to see it on CNN and other outlets like that. For sure. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, there could be uh, protest groups, women's groups. They've already, there's already been a couple of stories about that. Um, and the Blackhawks are a big team. Not, not that if this was somebody on a smaller market team, it, it wouldn't be a story, but let's face it, the Blackhawks are the Stanley Cup champions. They're one of the biggest teams in the league, as is. And, uh, like I said, uh, you know, between the spotlight of all the different media, the TMZ, the Deadspin, and all that, and I, I understand the position the league's in, and the Hawks are in, it's not an enviable one. Um, because it's not like they have a, <laughs> excuse me, an ideal timeline in sight of, we know the grand jury is going to meet on this date, and we know by this other date the DA is going to make their announcement. They don't know. I mean, this could this could go on for months. You know, we could hear something, you know, conceivably over the next couple of weeks. We could hear something by the end of October, or uh, it could take to sometime in 2016. I mean, no one really knows. For sure. When Voinov, Voinov got arrested from his incident October 20th, was immediately suspended and wasn't charged until December 20th once all the evidence was gathered and the grand jury had their say in, in Los Angeles. So that was at least, you know, it was exactly 30 days from the point of arrest to where he was even charged with a crime. And right, and this, Pat, case, Patrick Kane hasn't even been arrested yet. Right, he's, been, he's being investigated. Right. So... Um, so. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm sure, you know, the league uh, looked at all the different options and the Hawks did as well. It's, you know, and, and it's not going to be easy for his teammates either because they're going to get bombarded with this as well. Um, so it, it's not a good situation for the Blackhawks. I'm sure they're hoping that uh, this, that this you know, the DA's finding happens sooner than later and, um, and then take it from there. And then going, going, uh, to the Voinov deal, uh, it was announced yesterday, LA Kings Insider broke the story, that uh, Slava Voinov has decided to voluntarily leave the country, and the immigration hearings and deportation proceedings won't need to be taken place, as he is probably, if he's not already gone, he's packing his bags, he's out of here. So that, that pretty much solidifies or finalizes except for the mike richards contract grievance filed by the nhlpa brings to a close the summer of discontent in los angeles with the jared Stoll incident uh justin williams fan favorite con Smythe trophy winner mr game seven leaving town going to washington which we'll touch on a little later the whole slava voinoff escapade um in the article I'm referencing with at LAKingsInsider.com, go check it out. Uh, they said that the decision was made uh, a few weeks back that 
one way or another, Voinov was done playing for the Los Angeles Kings, whether he was deported or whether, you know, if he if he had survived his deportation hearings, they were going to terminate his contract in the same way that they did with Mike Richards. And at that point, that was, I believe, putting the timeline together was when they approached Christian Erhoff and signed him to the one-year $1.1 million deal, which, I mean, he's going to slot in just fine. The, the Kings still are going to go with Dowdy and Muzzin. They're going to have Alex Martinez and Matt Green. So that brings Erhoff in, and there'll be three youngsters, really. that Two of them were on the roster and played quite a bit last year, Braden McNabb and Jamie McBain. They played as a pair often with the, the Voinoff in the defense and in a little bit of shambles earlier in the season with some injuries and the Voinoff deal. Um, and a, a youngster coming up. Derek Forbord is going to have a chance to make the team too. So with Erhoff in, he'll slot in probably second pair, I would think. Matt Green is going to continue to anchor that third pair, shut down, shut down pairing, probably with either McNabb or Forbort. And then Erhoff probably paired with Martinez. It depends on what Sutter wants to do. His lines are in a blender anyway. It doesn't really matter. Um, but that solidified their their defensive parents for the year so that that put an end to the Voinoff saga as far as the Kings and the National Hockey League are concerned and everyone's going to move on in their separate ways so with that I, I think, think the, uh, go ahead uh, I guess the last other thing uh, to know that happened this week was along with Brock Nelson uh, one of the last RFAs significant RFAs who finally signed uh, was Jonathan Huberto, which he did with the Panthers on a two-year deal. So Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Panther fans were, just like Islander fans with Nelson, were holding their breath a little bit, but that got done as well. Which, you know, that the after the deadline, uh, he was on the line with Alexander Barkov and Yarmir Yager. And Huberto pumped 21 points in the last 21 games once they put that line together. So that gives them a real solid, real solid number one or one A offensive threat there in in Florida. And like we said in our Atlantic preview, uh, Florida's Florida looks to be coming up. Florida looks to be coming up. So it's good that they got him signed. So without further ado, let's get into section two of the podcast. We're going. We're going to go ahead and start on our Metropolitan Division preview for the 2015-16 season. Uh, starting right at the top again, Washington Capitals, regular regular season champions, had quite a few changes, subtractions, additions. Actually, the Ra- they're actually actually the Rangers won the division. Were the Rangers the championship? I'm looking at yeah. something out of uh, order yeah, there. They were. Oh yeah, in fact, the Rangers finished uh, number one overall in the uh, in the NHL in the regular season. Oh, season. that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm looking at something that's you don't want to get those upside down. Fans, uh, no, uh, no, and, and there are there are a few of them here in Las Vegas. They're going to play me. <laughs> uh, the Islander writer. No, I apologize. I'm looking at something that's upside down here. Um, well, let's go right to the Rangers. They had they had quite a few additions and subtractions too. Um, going, I think the biggest subtraction would be Carl Hagelin, obviously, um, and they brought in Emerson Edom. Uh, goalie anti Rada, Victor Stahlberg signing, and then 
Rafael Diaz, Jason Magna, and Brian Gibbons coming in too. But re- really, you'll be looking at Emerson Edom and Victor Stahlberg being impact newcomers, and Carl Hagelin maybe leaving a hole at right wing that hopefully Emerson Edom is going to solve for them. Uh, how did those deals go down, and what does Ranger Nation feel about that? Yeah, we talked about this, I think, uh, at the time of the, when we did the free agency podcast. I mean, basically, uh, and let's not also forget, even though he didn't have a great playoff, uh, you know, Maurice St. Louis, um, even though he was older, he was, um, you know, not the same player he was three, four years ago. He still finished the year with, you know, I believe it was 52 points, and he was fourth on the team uh, in terms of uh, uh, scoring. So, um, not to mention um, his leadership and what he provides in the locker room. So, even though he wasn't uh, during the playoffs, Martin Singley is prime, they're going to miss him uh, as well, and he retired. So, I think uh, the combination of losing St. Uh, Louis and Aglin and replacing them with complimentary players, if you will. I will. Uh, you know, it's definitely, <laughs> it's going to, it's, it's, it's going to have the team have to take a hit, and they're going to need specifically their three three guys: uh, J.T. Miller, uh, Chris Kreider, uh, and Kevin Hayes uh, to step up and continue to develop. Kevin Hayes did have a great playoffs there, coming into his yeah, own. I so think so. They're going to need they, they're going to need those three guys. Uh, there's no doubt they're going to miss. Uh, I, you know, Cole Hacklin, if you looked at, again, uh, we talked about this a couple months ago, he's not the kind of guy, if you, I thought he has bad stats, but when you look at his stats, they do not do him justice. He's a winning player. He's really going to help the Ducks. Um, he's the kind of player he can help you in so many different ways. He's played in big games, a lot of big games. So they're going to miss him. And they're going to miss St. Louis for, for different reasons. So, uh, and let's not forget that you know, they on paper, let's say, they took um, a step back, if you will, uh, trading Ken Calvert uh, for Ratman. Uh They traded two different deals. But, um, you know, and all this really because of the salary cap. We've been talking for a while that the Rangers have uh, their biggest enemy is the salary cap, and it continues to be. So having said all that, uh, this team was one game away from returning to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, they finished first in the NHL in points last year. Obviously, they won the division. Um, you know, they had the third best offense, third best defense, sixth best penalty kill. The only area that they really struggled in was uh, the power play. Uh, they finished in the in the bottom third. But you know, they had an excellent excellent coach uh, and Elaine Vigneault has really fit in with that team well. And like I said, they do have a couple people who you would expect to take a step forward. And uh, when you talk, when you write down, uh, give me a list of the top six teams you think you can win the cup. I would say most people have the Rangers on that list. Absolutely, I don't. You know, we haven't even mentioned King Henry, and uh, he's the strong. Right. He's the. the he he don't go backwards with that. Yeah, the only negative I could say about King Henry, you know, and I don't think this will impact this season, is the fact that. Um, he will be 34 in March, and anyone who follows the Rangers knows he's had a lot of games logged in his career. I don't. Ex- I'm not saying that will be a factor this year, but you know, you know, a year for year or two or three from now, you know, when he's 35, 36, 37, 
uh, something to watch out for. Um, that's why I think also, too, the fact that even though he was injured, he had a bit of a breather last year uh, and probably helped his play in the playoffs, um, you know, having a Cam Talbot around. So it will be interesting to see, you know, how many games, what's going to be the game plan for uh, Lundquist in terms of, uh, you know, this year. I mean, so... Um, you know, looking at it right now, I mean, Lundquist only played in uh, 46 games last year. Believe it or not, Cam Talbot played in 36 games. Now, yeah, for sure. Obviously, that's, a, that's a, you know, the uh, light of I mean, Talbot was terrific. So, not that Ratman can't be a solid player for them, but uh, obviously he's not Lundquist. But, uh, you know, look, there is not a team. I don't know, you can take any team that you want in this NHL today. You can give me who you think your number one contender is to win the cup. And I can gu- I guarantee you I can come up with three or four, at minimum, legitimate questions about that team. Sure. So I don't want it to come off like we're nitpicking on the Rangers. There's plenty of questions to go around on e- every team. No, not at all. They they to, to soothe our Rangers fans who may be listening from my earlier transgression, they finished 12 points clear of Washington uh and yeah, number one overall seed. They finished fifty three twenty two and seven with one hundred and thirteen points. So um, losing, not a maybe a step up from a role player in Hagelin, probably their biggest loss. And the leadership of Martin Saint Louis, they're not going backwards anytime soon. That's still one of the top three or four teams in the East for sure. And no, no worse than fifth or sixth. If you want to put a team of six teams, a list of six teams together. The Rangers are going to be in that top six for sure. Um, I guess the last point I have on the Rangers is, um, although he says he's fine, he's he's free free of any symptoms. You know, uh, uh, Matsu Karolo's, uh season ended during the playoffs last year due to a nasty. Yes, it took him some time to get over that, and we you know we know how dangerous concussions can be. So, you know, hopefully he's all is well. But obviously, with concussions, uh, as we see in other sports as well as the NHL, uh, once you get one, you're more likely to get another one. And he had a serious, serious one uh, from what you uh, from what you read. So, you know, I guess again, that's just another little question about the team. Because if anything, uh, the big theme I think is this team has taken a hit this season, going to the new season, in terms of their depth. So. I mean, there's no doubt about that. There's, you know, he's taking a hit at the backup goalie. They're taking a hit on who's going to replace Cole Hagelin. And they're taking a hit on who's going to replace uh, Morton St. Louis. So, you know, hopefully some of those other young guys I mentioned uh, for the Rangers, uh, for the Blue, Blue Shirt Nation, uh, Ryder, J.T. Miller. Why is the last person escaping the Hayes? Kevin Hayes. Yeah. Uh, you know, not that they weren't they weren't good last year, but that they continue to develop because we're gonna have to pick up the slack. Okay, let me let me pump a couple quick questions on you, and then we'll we'll go to the caps. Does Rick Nash score forty two goals again this season? He might. Um, I think the bigger thing for Rick Nash is to be more of a dominant player in the playoffs. I mean, uh, I'm not trying to pick on Rick Nash, but. Uh, he was a dominant player in the regular season, and I, you know, I uh, in the playoffs, he had his moments. But 
and, you know, obviously in the playoffs, scoring's going to be down. We all know that. Teams play tighter, so on and so forth. But he's got to impose himself more in these games. Um, um, and uh, that hasn't happened in his career as a Ranger. Even the year they lost to the Kings in the final. Um, you know, he was, at best, a decent player for them. And he's got to be... They need more. The mail. Yeah, so, they need more. <laughs> yeah, they got to need more. So it's kind of like... Um, the St. Louis Blues situation. I have no, you know, I have no doubt that Rick Nash will will have a great regular season, but just like I we talked about last week, I have no doubt the Blues will have a great regular season. But for me, it's it's about the playoffs ahead. All right, quick question number. Quick question number. Quick question number two. Keith Yandel came over at the deadline, and some people in Ranger Nation were questioning the fit or his role on the team. Does that get resolved with a full training camp with his defensive pairings? And does he become the power play point producer that the Rangers expected in, when they traded for him? Well, I guess the answer to that is, uh, from their, for their sake, I think they, they hope so. Because uh, they gave up quite a bit uh, to get Keith Handel. Now, as you know, Arizona's paying half the salary, which means that half the cap is being... Uh, to have a Keith Handel on your team for this year at a 2.6 cap hit is, you know, is ridiculous uh, in a good way. Almost as good as getting Mart. Uh, I was going to say Martin St. Louis again. Milan Lucic for $3 million. Correct. Correct. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the same thing. Um, yeah, he came over, you know, as, as we know, the NHL trade deadline is around the, it's somewhere around the two-thirds mark, so you know, he's kind of got thrown in the frying pan. I'm sure the Rangers were hoping by playoff time he would be a difference maker for them on the power play in the, in the playoffs. Didn't kind of work out that way. He, I thought he played, you know, decent for them. I mean, Keith Handel's a really good defenseman. I mean, I think he's very strong. This market could probably speak a lot better about him than I, seeing him a lot more uh, with him being in the Pacific. But, um, you know, he's an extremely strong offensive player. He's excellent on the power play. And I would say he's around slightly above average on, in terms of defensively. But on this team, that's fine. That all works. Rangers gave an awful lot uh, up to get him. They traded Anthony Duclair, who's a top, top prospect, who uh, played with the Rangers a bit last year and uh, will get, you know, will be uh, part of uh, the Arizona teams. Um, they gave up a, you know, a lot there for him. And the Rangers gave up their first-round pick this season, including last year's second. Um, so they gave up a lot to get Keith Yandel, and uh, the way the uh, Rangers' cap is structured, it's been choking them. Uh, you know, they have Rick Nash at nearly $8 million. They have Henrik Lundqvist for a little over $8 million, and they have a good team. So every year they've been fighting the cap. I can tell you this, no matter what kind of season Keith Yandel has, it's going to be a very hard to see a scenario where he's back with the Rangers after the season. They they knew when they traded for him, if you will, it was a two year you know, two year rental, if you will. So he's you know, he's gonna be gone after this year uh, unless other sweeping changes are made to make room for him in terms of the salary cap. So yeah, it's a good question. Uh I, again, I, I can only imagine that over the long haul he will help their power play, which of the major uh items on their list is the, the one thing they did struggle with last year. 
Okay, moving on. Number two. Let's get to the Washington Capitals. Um, in the past, they seem to be another one of the regular season teams that struggled to get anywhere in the playoffs. A couple times finishing number one overall and taking first round exits. I think in the last couple of years they've made they they've made big strides getting away from that tag and and creating more of a playoff style culture there. Um, changes from last year. That and ha- having said that playoff culture comment, they, they had three three players that contributed quite a bit, if not on the score sheet in the. Just the, the playoff style hockey that they played. Joel Ward, Troy Brower, and Mike Green are gone from the Capitals. But they did bring in uh, two players to replace those two right wingers that may have a little higher upside on the offensive side of the ice there with Justin Williams and TJ Oshie. How do those changes affect the Capitals going forward? And does do they do they maintain their playoff culture they're trying to build? I think Justin Williams will help in that. And TJ Oshie, I, I think, also plays a playoff-style game, too. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, going under uh, Barry Trotz was a great hire for them. Absolutely. And all the you said uh, about them last season, I think he had a lot to do with it. I think a lot of uh, NHL experts would tell you uh, Capitals well, easily could have beaten the Rangers. Um, uh, obviously, they were up. 2-1 at the Garden, up three games to one, game five, yeah. uh, with less than two minutes to go. And Chris Carter made a nice play at the blue line, kind of did a mini turn around, turn around, uh, spin around, if you will, and chopped up, did a snapshot, if you will, towards the net and threw a screen, you know, scored. And, uh, you know, you wonder if that puck would have went a little wide or, mm. you know, the Capitals, you know, you know, good chance it would have won that series. And who knows, maybe they matched up better with Tampa. Who knows what would have happened. That would have been a fun series, I think. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been. But, uh, you know, having said that, uh, I like the two ads that they have. I guess the the question I have is uh, reading a lot about the Capitals, who are the trendy pick, one of the trendy picks uh, in terms of not only winning the Metro, but even uh, I think the Hockey Dudes had the the Capitals going to the Stanley Cup final in their prediction prediction for for the upcoming season. Um, is, yeah, I'm, you know, I like the ads of Justin Williams and T.J. Oshie, who wouldn't, although there were a couple of questions there in terms of Oshie's consistency, Williams staying healthy, he did last year. But I don't think enough people are focusing on, you know, Joe Ward, Troy Brower, and Eric Fuhrer, along with Mike Green, you know, had really good seasons for the, for the Capitals. Absolutely. So it, it's not like they added Williams. And it, the way it's, you read about the Capitals, you would think, oh, they – same team as last year, and they added Justin Williams and and TJ Oshie. So, and I can tell you, well, Warden Brower had really strong playoffs. Uh, they're gonna miss those guys, but in the age of the cap, they they're barely under the cap, literally. So, uh, Oshie needs to be more consistent. Um, you know, he he scored 19 goals last year. You would think someone with his and was on the top team in St. Louis. So, they played with some pretty strong players in St. Louis. So. This is a big season for him and his career. Uh, Justin Williams, I you know, if I, you know, ask the Capitals organization, hey, Justin Williams is going to give you a great 50 games in the regular season, 
He's going to miss a little bit of time due to injury, but come playoff time, he'll be ready to rock and roll and provide great leadership all year long. I'm sure they'll be more than happy to sign for that. So, uh, you know, uh, this is a really good team, to say the least. Uh, I I would advise them if they wanted to sign Pice, uh, maybe to cut down Brandon Hopi's uh, uh, playing time. He, he, believe it or not, appeared in 74 games in the regular season last year. Yeah, I know he's. Uh, I know he's in the prime of his career. I believe he is 25. Do I have that? My memory uh, fading on me. Uh, actually, he turns 26. Oh, he turns 26 this week. So he's you know age is not a problem, but uh, that's a big workload. So. Uh, like to see that trimmed down by a dozen games or so. Obviously, they have had a lot of faith. It's hard to believe that they have faith in their backup goalie if they're playing their number one netminder in 74 games at 82. Well, so, so the the, thing, uh, the answer to that is they brought in Dan Ellis to play that backup goaltender who has a number of, number of uh, you know, he's an experienced NHL goalie. So the, I think the goal in bringing Dan Ellis in is just for that reason, um, to give... Give Holpe more rest during the regular season so he's fresher in the playoffs, and I think that yeah, probably I mean, a good probably show. a good job. It, 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 yeah, and it didn't show in the playoffs. I mean, the one game Holpe missed in the playoffs was due to uh, some sort of illness, like a uh, stomach illness or something in the series against the Islanders. Sure. Um, so, so it, it, it did not show, but you know, to you know have a player play that much, uh, you, you know, again. Not saying for him to go from 74 games to 50, but about 74 to 62. Let's say the backup goalie can play in 20 games, something like that. But yeah, this is a this is a team that got a lot of talent, a lot of skills, got a, uh, a great coach, in my opinion. Um, they, you know, one would think the experience from last year can only help them. They got one of the best players in the league in Ovechkin. He seemed to really, uh, you know play even better under Barry Trotz, more of a complete game. Uh, they finished with the number one power play in the regular season, so that's a deadly part of their game. Um, yeah, this team is, uh, is a dangerous team. We, we haven't even mentioned uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov, who came in, into his own last year in the playoffs, too. He had a, had a real dynamic playoffs and solidifies their second-line center position. Looking at their projected lines. Yeah, well, let me try. I was I was trying to keep for Long Island, not to mention him. So <laughs> okay, we can we can go past, but that does that does give them two really solid scoring lines there up up front. No, it, it definitely does. No, they're they're, they're uh, and even though they lost uh, let Mike Green go, they they were deep into events uh, on all aspects of it. So um, you know, again, it's just dealing with expectations, um, but this is a uh, you know, this is a really, this is a really good team. I agree. I agree. Just my my only, my questions are: Do losing Brower and Ward take a little bit of the grit playoff culture off the roster? As I just Justin Williams, I know him well, and believe me, I <laughs> comps my trophy winner, uh, game seven hero for the Kings, and I'll always have a place in my heart for him. He wasn't one of the guys that brings the the physical grit play that the Kings are accustomed to. Uh, lose, losing Ward and Brower might might be a question mark for them come playoff time. But regular season again, I look for them. I look for them to be right back there towards the top. And if if the Rangers do take 
a couple steps back and the Capitals take a couple steps forward, it could be a battle for the top spot in in this division for sure. Let's. Uh, yeah, and that's some that's that's something you mentioned about a good point about Brower and Ward. Uh, you know, it's probably something due to the cap they can't address now, but come the trade deadline, might be something that they will look for in terms of a trade uh, a forward who can bring that kind of grit, if you will. Uh, but they did give a little. You're right. They did give up some grit and by giving up uh, Brower and Ward and getting uh, while gaining a lot of assets in Oshie and uh, Justin Wayne. We'll see how that plays out. That could be a uh, a good point. A little trade deadline deal there as uh, they look to add a piece going forward. And that that's going to bring us to your New York Islanders. They actually tied the Capitals in the regular season with 101 points. Play a tiebreaker going to the Caps, so that's the home ice. And and as you said, the Capitals had a great chance to beat the Rangers. I thought the I had picked the Islanders to win that first round series and. Out of the playoffs, I think I was thirteen and three in my series predictions last year, and your Islanders let me down. One of one of only three teams to to let me down in my predictions. One was one was the Ducks too, <laughs> uh, and the other was Winnipeg. So, not too much of a roster change. A lot of a lot of standing pat. We did. I mean, we'll talk about the Grabner earlier in the show. Uh, Brock Nelson signed. He's on board. Uh, all systems go. Um, really, really just a swapping. I was great, basically. Yeah, swapping of backup yeah, goalies. Neuverth gone. Grice is in. And uh, status quo moving forward. Is that the right direction for this team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think this, obviously this is an extremely young team. Um you know, they have made the playoffs now two of the last three years. But keep in mind, last year was the first, you know, the three years ago when they finally broke through and made the playoffs um, at the Papuit, but it was the lockout shortened season. So this was last year was the first full 82-game scheduled season that they broke through and made the playoffs, uh, broke 100 points. Um, you know, the, the, you know they, they have a lot of young players who each year or each month are getting better and better. Uh, I would watch out for as good as they were last year. I mean, you know, Ryan Strom, uh, former top pick, uh, had a had a great full uh, rookie season. Well, technically, I guess he wouldn't be considered a rookie, but first full season, you know, 50 points, uh, led the team in plus minus, plus 23, which is always good to see. Um, you know, Andres Lee, who started the year in Bridgeport uh, for the first few, first couple of weeks, uh, you know, he finished up with 25 goals. You know, that's pretty impressive. And uh, finished second in the team in terms of goal score. Those are two guys I would watch out for in terms of really uh, taking in the big next step, along with Brock Nelson, of course. And, uh, you know, uh, they, they had a lot of new players last year. I mean, when you look at the core of their team um, going at the start of the season, you know, they had uh, two new goalies. And Halak, and then and also Chad Johnson, but they had two new goalies. Boychek and Letty were new. Um, you know, in terms of so was uh, Michael uh, Grabowski, so was uh, Nikolai Kumonen. Kum- There's a lot of new faces last year, so I think that synergy, if you will, that consistency, that will help as well. And uh, the experience, 
I mean, when you have young players, um, you know, I saw a great quote the other day from John Tavares, who you just mentioned before. The Islanders uh, lost 2-1 to one in Game 7 in Washington. Obviously, I'm not saying that they would have won the series of Game 7 with that, but that's all now. Yeah. They're no longer in that home of the Islanders and Astro Coliseum. But Tavares was saying, you know, hey, over the course of a long regular season, you know, that extra point meant, meant a, potentially a lot. And uh, so I think all those factors has the team pointing in the right direction. Obviously, they're in a tough division um, as we're going through. Um, they're going to, uh, it, it, you know, if you look at it this way, to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, odds are their road's going to be, they're going to have to beat the Rangers and the Capitals. Odds are. So uh, I think Islander fans should be very excited. Uh, the, you know, again, this is the team I'd like to see them uh, improve on the special teams. The power play was middle of the pack, given the talent that they have uh, on uh, this, uh, the offensive talent that they have. They should be better than that. They should, worst case scenario, be in the top 10. And the biggest bugaboo was the penalty kill, which finished 26th. So, um, uh, although it did respond the last third of the season, last third of the season, the Islanders had one of the best penalty kill units. I believe they were killing penalties around a 90, 90% clip, which also showed you how bad they were the first two thirds of the season. Right. But they finished that play. And then going up against the number one power play unit in the league, in the Capitals, in the seven-game series, uh, they killed 12 or 14 penalties. So their penalty kill, hopefully they can, uh, the momentum they had will have them go forward. They can bring that forward. But again, talking about the power play, someone asked me, why did the Islanders lose to the Capitals uh, in a seven-game series? Well, uh, the Capitals scored 16 goals in seven games. The Islanders scored 15. And the Islanders went 0 for 16 on the power play in the series. So, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, specialty teams are, are critical. Absolutely. But, um, but you got we got got to see improvement in both of those areas. Um, but again, there's so much young talent on this team now, and more knocking on the door. Uh, another kid to watch out for is Ryan Pulak, who has a, an excellent chance. Former first round pick uh, from I believe three years ago, he has an excellent chance to make the team. You're going to hear a lot of talk about Michael Ducole, uh, who was the fifth overall pick in the 2014 draft. I still say he goes back to junior for one more year, and then will be a staple on the Islanders next year. But this is, a, you know, this is a very fun team to watch, and uh, and they're in great cap uh, position as well in terms of the salary cap. So unlike the Capitals and Rangers, if if something comes across the wires there that uh, and that is an opportunity. Teams like the Rangers and Capitals, due to their cap, will not be be players for, whereas Garth Snow and the Islanders can be if they want to be. Let me give you uh, let me give you three quick hits on this uh, one one subtraction we didn't mention: Lubomir Vesnowski, uh, veteran on the blue line. Who replaces him, and who does he pair with? Yeah, I think that's going to wind up being Ryan Pulak. I think it's going to be a battle uh, between two of the youngsters, Scott Mayfield, who played, uh, suited up for game six and seven, who's only got a handful, uh, another former top pick, although he was a second-round pick from a few years ago. Uh, again, the Allen has a lot of young talent. So uh, they want Ryan Pulak to win that spot. 
again, uh, if you want you know another source of Great Islander coverage, as uh, Daniel Freeman at WFAN.com, and he wrote an article over the summer uh, talking about how Pulak, he feels Pulak has a chance to become an elite defenseman. I can tell you this, in terms of the power play, uh, Pulak's slap shot uh, has been... Uh, has been measured at, I think, 103 miles an hour. So, uh, pretty big shot coming from the point. But he's, he's a big guy, too. I mean, he's got strength. Uh, he's, he's, he should be uh, complete size. And uh, I think he was born to be an Islander, even though he's from, I want to say he's from Western Canada off the top of my head. But for whatever reason, I remember when he was drafted, uh, uh, I want to say it was in 2013, and the story came out that his dad... Was a is a lifelong Islander fan from Western Canada, so uh, so maybe he was just uh, he was drafted in 2013, so maybe he was just destined to be uh, to be an Islander. So uh, they uh, they want Poulon to take Vizanowski's spot. They really like Vizanowski, who I think I just saw signed a uh, PTO deal with the Hawks, which is a smart move. Is that right? Um, but yeah, he did. But the problem with Vizanowski is. Not so much the age, he's in good shape, and the, the teammates love him, but he's had a number of head injuries. And, um, you know, I don't know, you know, in the physicality of the NHL over the course of an 82-game season, I I wish him well, to say the least, because he was a very class act for the Islanders. But, um, and for the Kings earlier, for sure. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I expect, I expect a strong strong season from the Islanders and uh, you know hopefully for Islander fans this is the year that their playoff drought in terms of winning the series ends uh, uh, let's put it this way I'm going to date myself a little bit here the last time the Islanders won a playoff series um, you know I just graduated college so it's a few years ago, <laughs> the, <laughs> that was the, uh, the when they the, when they beat the two times the Defending Stanley Cup champions, the Pittsburgh Penguins. That was the uh, 92-93 playoff season. So, it's a long time. They've been in the playoffs a few times. That's a long time. So, uh, you know, I think they're very capable of having a big year. Does Does Franz Nielsen give them everything they need as a second-line center, or are they going to have to do something there? No, I, I think so. He's got. I mean, he got off to such a great start. And I think this is also going back to his contract. He did, in terms of offensively, struggle down the second half of the season. I think he scored basically five goals the last 45 to 50 games. Uh, but he did finish the year with 20 goals. He did improve from the year before. I remember, this is a 23, 24-year-old guy. Uh, he is a two-way player. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I believe that he will continue to develop if you if you said to me if you put a gun to my head and said you know one of the young Islanders is going to really break through with a gigantic year this year, you know my first bet would be Ryan Strom, my second bet would be Anders Lee. But but again, you know Brock Nelson continues to get better, be an excellent second line player for them. Be more than happy to have that. I love I love the youth with the Islanders, and I, I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. You you mentioned playoff team two of the last three years well they would have been three for three if Tavares doesn't get hurt in the Olympics um, it, well no they were actually kind of on the outside on the outer edges of the playoffs at that point uh, and that was a very disappointing season and again 
same thing. I think experience really helped them. That season, they taught them a lesson that even though that, you know, I think many, especially from the fan base, felt like, okay, the rebuild's over. We had, you know, even though it was a shortened year, we had a great regular season. Uh, many people were picking the Penguins to get to the Stanley Cup Finals that year. We, we you know, if we had better goaltending, we would have beaten them. We were, we went toe-to-toe with them. We're ready to take the next step. And, you know, nothing's given to you in any sports league. So, uh, you know, the Islanders even traded uh, for aggressively for Thomas Vanek early on in the year to be to take that step. And, you know, they took a step backwards. So I think that was a real painful learning lesson for for these players that uh, to continue to get better as a team, uh, not going to be not just going to happen over, you know, it's not going to be given to you. So uh, I thought they were taking anything for granted, but, um, you know, so like I said, the Islander fans should be very excited. This, this is a franchise from, from the talent they have on the roster to the salary cap flexibility that they have to the uh, farm system slash pipeline that they have. Uh, they are one of the best positions of any team in all of hockey. And of course, I'm not just talking about, you know, focusing on next year, but the next few years. For sure. Uh, we were doing our our playoff predictions last year, and Tom had said that just just the recovery effort from Millberry was a 10-year deal. So this would be this, – he said – he said last year was the tenth year, and he wasn't quite ready to put him into that that group of teams that can make a deep run in the playoffs. But he he said starting this year, you you should be free of the Millberry curse, and this could this should be the year going forward where the everything comes together. One one last question, question three: What do you think of the third jersey? Yes or no? Oh. I'm not a big fan of any teams. I, I get it. It's a marketing thing um, in any sport. If you're going to have an alternate jersey for your team, oh, and you, I get it. It's the third jersey, so you want to have kind of a different look to it, be a little more stylish or whatnot. But it's, stick with your team colors. I mean, the Islander colors are predominantly blue and orange, blue, orange, and white. Um, so, so stick with that. Um, you know, um, you know they had black jerseys. I think I want to say a couple of years ago. You know, which they wore for a handful of games here or there. I get it. It's a different look. It's about marketing and all that, all that stuff, selling jerseys to the youngsters and things of that nature. But uh, in terms of me as a, as a fan, uh, I'm more the mode of third jersey. Uh, at least have it can be different, but have it be your team colors. Or, like with the Kings, uh, uh, maybe a tribute to your throwback uniforms, like uh, Kings third jersey. I wouldn't mind if it was purple, right, purple right. and gold, <laughs> or bring back the fisherman logo, maybe for the Islanders. Some along those lines. When you're, no, no, you come on now, come on, a little tribute, a little nod of the nod of the head to the past. Let's not go there. <laughs> I, I, I could do a two-hour. I could do a two-hour podcast on how that that, that logo was. was uh, uh, well, okay, I'll give you a real quick story on that since you brought it up. Uh, at the time, the Islanders were the majority owned by a gentleman named John Pickett, uh, and he brought in four guys that looked like they were the majority owners, which they weren't. And 
They didn't want to spend any money on the team. Uh, it's a time where players with the Islanders were kind of shuffling in and out. Anyone who made any money wasn't going to be on the team. And so they said, oh, get people jazzed up by having a New Jersey. And from what I heard, or the rumor was that those four owners, uh, their children picked the logo. Nice. So that's how the, uh, and that's, you know, that might be urban legend or whatnot, but uh, it could also explain a lot. I, they, not even whether the logo was bad, just the, how it looked. I mean, it, nothing against the AHL or like minor league baseball, but it kind of had that, that kind of feel to it. Hey, hey, Chris, let's take a break for a second. Okay. Okay, I'm back. This is for my segue here. And okay, with that, we're going to go ahead and move right into the Penguins. Uh, what could be the most intriguing team with all of the roster moves they made in the last offseason here? Obviously, of note, bringing in Kessel. How is that going to affect the chemistry with the turnover there? Could go either way, couldn't it? I don't know. You put Phil Castle with Sidney Crosby, or which it sounds like is going to happen. I, I mean, I think only good things are going to happen. I think also getting Phil Castle out of the microscope, not that the Penguins fans are, you know, uh, or the Penguins aren't a big team, but it's you know, playing in Toronto is a lot different than almost playing anywhere else or Montreal. So I think moving Kessel. Uh, into a situation like with Pittsburgh, who already has two mega stars already in Crosby and Malkin, and then you pair them with Crosby. Uh, I, 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 you know, I can only imagine good things coming out of that. I was talking with Tom last uh, a couple months back, right after the deal went down. I put over under on that line of 110 goals with Perron, Crosby, and Kessel. And it could be over. That could be if Kessel goes forty and Crosby goes forty, and you leave Perron to clean up thirty. You're right at a hundred goals for that line, and then Malkin and Hornquist. That could be pretty dynamic too. But they they went through so many players um, to get to that point. I don't I don't know what that does to the depth on the team. I mean, and a lot of a lot of the guys going the other way were depth or minor league prospects. Um, Paul Martin's gone. That could be a big hit. Grice obviously went. Yeah, Martin, Martin's gone. Arn has gone. Brandon Sutter's gone. Downey and uh, Blake Como. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Grice is gone. So, you know, they've gone a different route in terms of the backup goalie. Um, well, it's fascinating. You know, it's funny when we think of the Penguins, and obviously, it's who, you think of the Penguins, one of the first two names to come up, Crosby and Malkin. Sure. When you think of a big, op- a big offensive team for the last number of years, if I were to tell you, uh, Mark, I want you to make a $100 wage at the Penguins last year in, in offense and defense. In one category, they finished in 10th. In one category, they finished 19th. Uh, where would you put your money? Which ranking went with what goals? You know, which one was the tenth? Uh, which one was the nineteenth in terms of goals given up per game, or goals scored per game? And uh, and the reality is, they finished nineteenth in goals scored per game, which is hard to believe when you think about it. Um, you know, because basically Crosby and Malkin had full seasons too, and they, you know, so. Um, 
one would think with Kessel coming on board, uh, hopefully Pasquale Dupree is uh, going to be healthy. They added Nick Bournemouth. They have uh, a, a youngster watch and Sergei Kortnikov, who is one of their prospects. Um, but they have a very young defense. Um, so that's, you know, something to watch out for. And I don't know if they're – they have a young defense, and I don't know if they're strong enough on defense. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge Rob Scuderi fan. As am I. Page, home From Bethpage, Long Island. Literally one town away from where I live. So, oh, you're up near Bethpage. Uh, but I, What's that? Great golf course in Bethpage. I didn't know you were up near Bethpage. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and uh, so uh, Rob Scaveri's got a place in my heart. Um, but you know, Scuderi and Lovejoy is the third pairing on the defense. Olimana, you know, obviously had a very health, uh, terrible health scale last year. He's he's healthy now, but they have some young defensemen, and the fact that they're so top heavy. Uh, we talked about this over the summer as well. You know, those are the, and they're really, literally up against the cap. So, you know, those are, you know, they cannot afford, like most teams you could say this about, but they cannot afford, because uh, they're so top-heavy, to lose any of their key guys for long periods of time. So I, I'm, I'm, I would be a little worried about their depth. I'd be a little bit worried about their blue line in terms of uh, a couple of guys maybe, you know, not being good enough or getting a little bit older to a couple of guys who have bright futures, but they're going to make young youngster mistakes. And I think they took a little bit of a hit in terms of their backup polling too. So, you know, this this is a team that interesting to me. You can make an argument for winning the division, or you can make an argument of, you know, they just make, barely make the playoffs, or maybe even just barely missed the playoffs. Do you have their uh, power play numbers from last year in front of you? Their power play was, uh, again, I think they, actually their power play was eight, tied to eight. And then you add Phil Kessel to that group. You know, listen to this, they have the third best penalty kill. And if you look look, look at it from last year, uh, you know, everyone figured the Rangers were just going to steamroll them. And while they won in five games, it was a little deceiving because uh, I believe four of the five games were one-goal games. Four uh, overtime games. Four, four of the five were overtime games. Okay, four of the five were overtime games. Yeah, could have went either way. Uh, right. And didn't they lose three games, two to one? If memory serves correct. I believe that's correct, also. So, you know, when it comes down to you know it comes down to it, they just they just couldn't score. So. Um, you know, Phil Kessel will go a long way with that. Uh, from what I read, he's, uh, you know, he's trimmed down a bit. He's lost a few pounds as well. Um, you know, you, again, you, t- you team him with Sidney Crosby. Uh, those two guys stay healthy. Got a healthy Malkin. You know, this is a this is going to be a team to to contend with, to say the least. Yeah, I, I have a little more concerns about them than the first three. There's a there's a few more question marks. The Sergey Sergey Plenikov that you mentioned, he's uh, he was a pretty dynamic scorer in the KHL, and, and they brought him over. Uh, this will be his first year in the National Hockey League. But the the one website I'm looking at right now has him projected second line left wing. So that'll that'll help their depth because then Kanitz can move down and play with Nick Bonino and Pascal Dupuis on the right side, which 
I mean, that should be a pretty decent third line as far as scoring goes. So bringing in Castle and Plotnikov kind of push a couple players down maybe into a better role for them offensively. And they certainly look to be better than 19th in goal scored coming up this year. No doubt. Yeah, I feel very confident about that. But uh, they got to really move up in goal scoring and then move down in defense because, of, like I said, the combination of getting not being slash getting a little bit older at the third pairing, just not strong enough, and the inexperience. So they might have, they, the offense might really go upward, and the defense, though, might come a little bit backward. So, uh, you know, not that I'm not high on some of those uh, young defensemen they have, but in terms of just looking at next year. This, so we'll this, to... this could be a real surprising division. It's We said, we said last... Uh, last week that the central was going to be the best division in hockey this could surprise a lot of people this could be a real good division coming up uh fifth place with columbus who made a few moves that could challenge them for that fourth spot at the end of the year notably bringing in brandon sod and gregory campbell um not too much on the negative side of the ledger mark letestu and our team anisimov are a couple um, our team and Isenoff went the other way in the Brandon Saad deal. Uh, they they were decimated. I think they had the the most games lost to injury last season of any team in the in the league. Um, providing that they stay healthy, um, this is going to be one of the best Blue Jacket teams that we've seen, and Vegas thinks so too. They've got twenty five to one odds to get and win the Stanley Cup, which is you know, twenty-five to one odds isn't bad when you look at some of the teams having a three hundred or four hundred to one against chance. Uh, where do you see this team? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's. A, I, I, you know, it's funny. This time last year, they were the darling pick by many to at least make the Eastern Conference Finals. Or be a lot of people had them picked for the Eastern Conference Finals, and some I even saw some predictions having them go to the Stanley Cup Finals. And I mentioned the Islanders before about the first time they broke through with the playoffs, and then they had a... Ironically, it could be very similar. The year before last, the Blue Jackets broke through. Who do they play? Just like the Islanders. They play the Penguins, who were considered a, a big favorite. And they pushed the Penguins, just like the Islanders, to six games. Yeah, they did. Just like the, just like the Islanders, a lot of people felt that that series could have went either way. So there was a lot of similarities. There was a young team with a lot of talent. Uh, so they had, and they even had more expectations uh, going into last year than the Islanders did coming off their playoff season. Um, but you know, I, I can't just say, well, you know, they started the season and they did have a ton of injuries, uh, and they but they finished up like a house of fire. Because I've seen in sports too often, too many times that you know, not that. I'm going to poo-poo that how well they finish. That could be a springboard for the following year. But that doesn't mean it's an automatic, you know, for the following year that you're just going to continue on that springboard. Uh, sports doesn't necessarily, it's, it's not a given. That it's just going to, got to work that way. No, it's not um, It's not a linear I, graph for sure. Right. Uh, but I like this team a lot, uh, to say the least. Um, I'll give you a stat that will probably really surprise you. Um about them, and it probably is, is why it's the biggest concern for me regarding them. And that's their blue line, and uh, 
you know, team defense. Um, if I said to you, Mark, name me the franchise goalies in the league, you're going to give me Lundqvist, you're going to give me Quick, you're going to give me Carey Price. I'm going to give you Lundqvist. You're going to give me Lundqvist, you're going to give me uh, Jonathan Quick, you're going to give me Carey Price. I don't know if you're going to give me anyone after that. Well, a, you got the Vesna, a former Vesna Trophy winner in Bobrovsky right there in Columbus. Okay, so that, that was where I was getting at. Yeah, um, for sure. Bobrovsky is probably on the on the verge of being in that group. Or if you, if you want to be a little bit of a naysayer and say he's not there yet, but then he would be top of the heap after those franchise goalies. The Blue Jackets, last season... In terms of goals given up per game, we're 25th in the league. And, you know, and Bobrovsky, while missed sometimes, did play in 51 games. So um, they basically have the same top six defensemen. Um, they brought in more scoring. They'll have David Clarkson for the full season. Uh, but that, you know, that is my concern with them, is getting – are they strong enough on the blue line? You know, is Ryan Murray – the former number two pick overall from not too long ago. Uh, um, that was 2012. Uh, you know, health has been a problem for him, as an example. And he, you know, in turn, and, and that's hurt his development as well. So this is, again, this was a talented team that Andy added Brave and Sod. Uh, they also added Gregory Campbell to slide in at, at their back lines. Uh, but they did lose Anisimov. Uh, I guess... The last couple of questions I would have about them is, you know, Nick Foligno, is it a surprise that he had a real good year last year? No, because he's, he's been a good player. Is it a surprise that he went from being a really good player to an exceptional player and breaking 30 goals? I think it was a little bit surprised by most people probably would tell you. The question is, is Nick Foligno that really good player who all-around game that scores 20 goals, or is he the guy that scored or the player that he was last year where he had 73 points and had... 31 goals. Also, Scott, Scott Hornell had a big year for them last year, which is, you know, again, not, you know, a little bit of a surprise. So those guys got to duplicate their uh, their production. Yeah, I, so I, I have, agree. You know, I have a number of But, again, I'm not trying to tell you that I don't like Columbus. There are some questions there. My, the biggest for me being on the blue one. Yeah, the young David Savard, too. He's uh, slotted to be first pair of defense with Jack Johnson. I don't know if he's... I mean, he came out and he did have a great year last year, but I don't know if he's ready to play first pair of defense uh, against a player like Jack Johnson who does... You know, I watched him a lot earlier in his career with the Kings, obviously, and always keep my eye on him. But uh, coming out of Michigan, he had the nickname JMFJ, and we all know what MF stands for. But after three or four years with the Kings, the MF changed the meaning to Jack minus forever Johnson because he does have a tendency to get out of position going for the big hit and give up uh, give up two on ones going the other way and I don't know if David Savard is ready to be a top pair defenseman with and I'm, and I'm not saying I love Jack Johnson as, as a guy he's been going through some tough times with uh, sure. with what you know what he had to go through with his mom and dad and everything which oh, is just yeah. a shame but I don't know if David Savard's, you know, mature enough as a defenseman in the National Hockey League to play across 
from a player with those attributes in their game. So that's that's your first pair. And then you go Fedor Tudin and Ryan Murray, uh, Kevin Connaughton, I think, and Dalton Proud is your third pair. Not going to set the world on fire from the defensive side of things. Bobrovsky is going to have to be real big and real healthy to get this team up into that four spot with the the four teams we already talked about in in front of them. They're going to be their work's going to be cut out for them, even if they even if they come up. Uh, let's say they come up ten points in the standings from last year. They would still just be tied with Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh looks to do better, and the Islanders look to do better. And I don't, we already, I don't see the Rangers or Washington going backwards. So they could be a much better team and still be on the outside looking in when it comes playoff time. I, 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 I agree wholeheartedly. So moving out of, out of Columbus up to Philadelphia, um, Hard pressed for me to figure figure why this team didn't do better last year. Their their goals for and goals against uh, point to goaltending and defense. They had two hundred fifteen goals for and two hundred thirty four goals against. Um, they had, they had trouble on the road. Their their home record is twenty three eleven and seven, which is fine. But they go on the road, they're 10, 20, and 11. So basically 10 and 31 when they get away from their friendly confines. How are they going to combat that? Yeah, I look at that. That's a good stat. Uh, I look at the team, I mean, other than the power play, which they were third last year, you know, they were 21st in goals per game, scored uh, goals uh, per game, Uh, goals allowed. They were also 21st in penalty kill. They were 27th. you know, Steve Mason, uh, I'm a fan of, but to me, he has to prove he can stay healthy and uh, consistently. So to me, that's a question mark. I do not think they're strong enough on defense. And two of these guys I know very well, uh, fan, fans of theirs, they're ex-Islanders and Mark Streit and, uh, and uh, Andrew McDonald. Um, but I don't think they're strong enough on defense. And I think they're top-heavy. I mean, if you think about it, uh, Mark, they finished 21st last year in terms of goals goals per game, okay? All right. And that was with Drew, Voracek, and, and Wayne Simmons all having big years. Huge years. Huge years. They were just in the bottom third of scoring, and they had three, they have three big players. So that kind of kind of leads you to about their depth. Uh, you know, again, this team seems to be top-heavy to me. They seem to me, if I'm going to make a parallel, they're like the Colorado Avalanche of the East. Uh, they're not a bad team. They're a very competitive team. Um, uh, I expect them to, you know, be in the conversation for a playoff spot, perhaps, uh, like Colorado was, but on the outer edges. I mean, they had 84 points last year, so that's not, you know, we're now looking at a terrible team here, obviously. But, um, you know, they, they have some areas that they have to improve in, to say the least. Uh, they have a lot of areas, and they are strangled by the cap. I believe, uh, memory serves correct, that I'm not talking about next season, but they already have committed to the, to uh, next season, meaning 2015-2016. They already have committed to the 2016-2017 team, $61 million in, in salary cap. So 
they gave Voracek a big extension this offseason, as Sean Cordier did as well. So there's a lot of there's a there's there's there's, a, there's some there's there's a lot of positives we can talk about, but there's a lot of issues with this team. I gotta say, Braden Shin from being the fourth overall pick when the Kings got him hasn't really hasn't really grown into the player that a lot of people expected him to be. Um, and I he need, I he needs to step up. I believe he's an unrestricted free agent after this year too. I want to say. So he's got a contract year in front of him. You know, a lot of players step up in their contract year. So if he can come back and have a a, a breakout season because he hasn't had that yet. Love Wayne Simmons. Um, great physical two way player stands up for his teammates. You know the forward core. They got to come back into the top fifteen in scoring at least with uh, what they have. And they did bring in Michael Neuverth. Jason LaBarber is another ex-King, but career backup so far. Can Neuverth challenge Mason? Emery's gone. So is Neuverth in there to challenge Mason for the number one spot? And do you think he can do that? I think it's Mason's job as long as he stays healthy. I think they improved in the position in terms of the the backup goalie. Um, Ironically, I did hear... Emery's name associated with Tampa because they're young backup. Uh, I think they missed the first couple of months, so I don't know if he signed a PTO with them, but just to throw that out there. But I think that's probably one of the areas they improved in uh, this offseason because they did not have a lot of moves. Uh, I think a wild card to watch out for is my old my boy, Ivan uh, Provorov. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I did read from uh, various uh, hockey columnists that they felt, due to his skill, size, and hockey intelligence, even though he's 18, it's a 50. He's got a 50-50 shot to make the team, and uh, they could use. Uh, I mean, it, that would help tremendously. You know, yeah, it's not. You know, there's no one standing in in, in his way in terms of well, where are you going to put him. You know, from that standpoint. So if he shows that he's ready, um, so that's the wild card I would say for the Flyers. Uh, you know, again. Like Colorado, I expect a competitive team, um, but I think you'll see a lot of similarities uh, uh, between uh, this upcoming season and last. They did have, a, uh, I thought, a tremendous draft, so I think you know talent is coming. But the question, the last question I would have on them for you, Mark, is what if I told you that between Giroux, Voracek, and Simmons, one of those three guys was going to miss significant time due to injury this year? Then where do you where do you see them go? You know, where do you see them finish? You know, so to show you how top heavy they are. Yeah. So. Well, I'm looking at their at their projected lines, and there's a move that I forgot that's really going to help. Um, they brought in Sam Gagne for, uh, right before the draft here, June 28th. Um, that should give them some pretty significant depth down the middle. If you go Guru Couturier and Sam Gagne now in the third line center position. Um, how, I, how you, I think you can make you can you could formulate an argument or a plan or or to see from an offensive standpoint of them being good enough to make the playoffs. Like you said, Sam Gagne can help. You know, Sean Cordier uh, continues to develop. Brandon Shannon is on his contract year takes a step forward, so on and so forth. The problem, and you know, Steve Mason stays healthy and. And uh, it's a little bit, you know, it puts together a great year. I, I just, I just, that, that defenseman, I, I just don't see that as being strong enough. 
I don't think Lucian has I, I, has I, I, blossomed into the player that uh, he was traded to be either. Um, you do have Evgeny Medvedev and Michael Delzato in there now too. Um, just have a strike at McDonald. Luke Shen, Radko Gudis comes in uh, first year with the club. So middle of the pack defensively and and a big step forward offensively might be enough to get this team back up over the edge. I just don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, one one more question before we move on. Can Vinny LeCavier get back off the healthy scratch list and be a contributing offensive player for this team? Uh, I think they're going to have to figure out that he has to, you know, because – uh, if memory serves correct, he has, I believe, two more years to go on his deal. I think so. And he's going to be a very – the only way they're going to be able to move him is if he plays well. And, you know, I think it's capping actually in this day and age is not terrible. It's four and a half million a year. But, right. You know, if you're not producing, that's a big number. Um, you can't I mean, have they, you they, can't they, have four and a half million dollars playing fourth line and, and healthy scratch. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I – I, you better be. Uh, who's the old Canadian? Was it Steve Shutt? Like who was like that fourth killer, fourth liner that they had? I, uh, anyway, I think as so. I, as I as I digress, but uh, um, yeah, I think what what hurt this team from an offensive standpoint last year was getting uh, secondary scoring. So one would think that Vinny Latavier can help in that regard. So they got to try to to make that work. Um, and here's the. Here's the thing: If he does have a good year, and uh, you know they're not in the mix, then they'll be, you know, odds are they'll be able to move him and forget about what they get back for him, but at least help free up some of that cap space uh, that uh, that I mentioned. So, uh, the last point for me on the Flyers is uh, I don't think I'm wrong in saying at this point in time that I don't for a team uh, thinking about having a, a real strong season. I don't think I'm out of line saying they do not have uh, even a second-pairing defenseman on their team. Mm. Mm. I mean, not a slam-dunk one. Not a slam-dunk one. No. You know, some of the guys, they they might have some positives of this part of their game, but then what about this part of their game, and so on and so forth. So, um, But like I said, I, I love their draft from this last year, so uh, there's some talent coming. Uh, they 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 have to get end of the day they have to get deeper and they have to uh, get the salary cap fixed. I mean, I mean, look, the Hawks and the Rangers, two of the teams off the top of my head, who are, and the and recently the Bruins uh, as well, who've had terrible uh, cap situations. But they had terrible cap situations because they had too many players. Flyers don't have enough players. They have a terrible <laughs> cap situation. So. The cap has not been managed very well. Uh, no. Least, so. Reminds me of the Rangers in the mid to late 90s when uh, yep. they got in. Throwing they got in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we got uh, we got two more teams to go through, and, and I, I don't see them being players in this division for a few years to come. Uh, Carolina Hurricanes. No, and that's and that's why the central to me is the best division in hockey. Yeah, the bottom end here you doesn't know, look to, to threaten. <laughs> right. I mean, you put. I would say if you ask me today, who's who's the thir- three worst teams in in the NHL going to the season? I think Arizona's going to wind up being the worst. 
and then right behind them is going to be New Jersey and Carolina. So, actually, I think that New Jersey and Carolina could 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 be a big factor in the in the, in the division in this way. The team that cleans up the most against the Devils and the Hurricanes might be the team that wins the division, or <laughs> the team that finishes second versus third, or the team that finishes with an automatic playoff spot, or versus, the wild card, right? You know, versus the wild card. Um, real quick on the Devils, uh, this is one of the worst forward groups uh, in the league. Quite honestly, them in Arizona. Yeah, we talked um, about that in our in our draft preview that they needed to. You know, their biggest their biggest weakness is is age and a weak forward core in the system. And I did I did I don't see yeah. it getting better. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Clowney uh, called it a career. I mean, we saw that coming. Um, you know, I don't know what kind of Ryan Clow. Going close, excuse me. Right. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of chances Pavel Zaka. He is. He has got great size, but he is an 18 year old kid in terms of making the team, and they shouldn't rush him. I mean, you know, I you know Zayzak, uh, Travis Zayzak should be is a great player to have in terms of you know if he's on your third line, uh, not on your first line. I like Adam Henrique. They picked up Kyle uh, Pomeleri, who you probably know better than I. I uh, uh, he was a Oh, Western Conference. So uh, it's just you know this is I, I love Corey Schneider. He's uh, and that's after those franchise goalies that we talked about a conversation before. He's a guy who will be towards the top of the list of the next wave, in my opinion. And they have some good young defensemen. I mean, they have Green, they have Larson, they have Severson, they have John Merrill, they have Eric Jelena. So they're building the building from the goal on out. The old strategy of building from the goal on out, which I love. And they have a lot of work. They have a lot of work to do. They still have to get the outs part down. <laughs> they got the goal line, and the the defense core looks to be really solid here in a, in a year or two. But now it's time to start working on the goal line out part of things. Um, yeah, they, I'm just looking at the, the stats right here. They well, they finished 28th in the league uh, uh, in terms of uh, goals per game. They averaged 2.15 goals per game. My 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 goodness. Um, but ironically, now this will blow you away, and it's, this is a head-scratcher, right? We talked about, remember last podcast where we talked about the Minnesota Wild and all the people that they had, right? And they struggled on the power play, right? They were like a bottom, in the bottom third, uh, bottom, one of the three worst. We talked about the Islanders being inconsistent. Now think about the players on the Islanders and the Wild, the fours that they have. Yeah. Okay? The Devils last year were tied for eighth on the power play. Now, whoever their power play coach is, God bless them. Yeah, really, right? Because I mean, how how are they how are they eighth on the power play? Um, it's not like they have Al McKinnis on defense, you know. Even though they have these good young defensemen, so um, and also tells you what you know uh, how bad how bad are they producing goals when it's five on five? Uh, if they were top eight on the power play and averaging two point one five goals per game, so this is going to be um, you know a season about. Building for the future, you know, and, um, you know, having those young defensemen getting experience. But there's some age in this team. I mean, it's not like they have a lot. It's not like they're going to have a lot of young forwards on this team. I mean, you have Mike Camilleri. This is Patrick uh, Ilias. This uh, last year of his deal. I mean, there's some there's some age on this team, you know, so. Um, Steven Gionta. We'll have to wait and see with them. Yeah. 
we'll have to wait and see on them. But it's it's going to be a rough year for them, and then and then it's going to come down to hopefully uh, the ping pong balls fall the right way for them because uh, uh, this will be something we'll talk about during the year. But uh, you know, the NHL lottery system is changing. You're no longer going to be the worst case scenario slipping back one spot. It's going to be the NBA style where you can slip back as many as three spots. So. You know, uh, it's like Buffalo last year. <laughs> the worst, uh, you know, the worst in the league. They they were guaranteed to go from one to two. Now in that same scenario, they could go one as far back as four. Yeah, so I was going to say. Don't don't tell Tommy that. <laughs> right. And so for these teams, the when we get into it, the next podcast: Arizona, Carolina, New Jersey. I mean, I got to tell you, the biggest moment of the year for them might be the the night of the lottery was is where those ping pong balls fall and uh that they don't get the the short end of the stick on the ping pong ball. And then Carolina uh, let's let's uh Yeah I I don't see Carolina say, uh, I um you know they they're you know uh, it'll be interesting to see if Noah Hannafin makes the team. That's a storyline. Yep. Um you know they got you know they what I like about them going forward, they have Justin Falk, they have Ryan Murphy, they have Noah Hannafin, so I like that the great uh, threesome there, if you will, in terms of the, their defense. Uh, Jeff Skinner had, you know, the good news about Jeff Skinner was he was healthy last year, playing 77 games. The bad news was he had 18 goals and 13 assists, so uh, we like to see him to be able to do both, uh, be the player that he was because he's had so many concussions. Um, you know, the other big story is Eric Stoll. Eric Stoll's on the last year of his deal. Um, he's going to be in a whole, he's one of those premier unrestricted free agents come July 1st. Is he going to want to, you know, obviously his brother plays on the team, who's a really good player, and Jordan Stoll, who's locked up. Is he going to want to, and Carolina wants to keep him? Is he going to sign on an extension and stay with Carolina? Um, or is he going to say, you know what? My NHL career is a short, and, uh, uh, you know, Eric Stoll is, uh, he will be 31 at the end of October. So, you know, the next two, three years for Carolina are going to probably be rebuilding years. So, but the, uh, but the last part about that is Eric Stoll's cap number for this year is $8.25 million. So that's a, that's a very large cap number. Um, so if a trade were to happen during uh, the season, that is going to be very tricky because most top teams are literally right up against the cap. So that's, that. you know, trade uh, trading a big player is always complicated by its own merits. But then you put that factor in. So to me, it's about the development of their of their young defensemen. And, uh, you know, if Noah Hannafin makes the team, the, the continued development of their young defensemen and what winds up happening with Eric Stoll. I know Cam Ward, who's been around forever down there, uh, is also on the last year of his, his deal. Uh, and he actually had a pretty decent season last year, especially playing for a uh, you know, bottom five team. But, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not, you know, this is going to be a, I'm sorry, Hurricane Stance, I've been there. It's going to be a tough year. I've been there as well. They did, uh, they did bring in James Wisniewski, who was with the Ducks last year and didn't really get a chance to play that much. Um, it's another seven million dollar cap. Hit. Where are they at? In, where are they at on the cap? Oh, they uh, they are 
uh, in excellent position with the Caps. Uh, the good news, I guess, I can give uh, Hurricane fans is um, they are, roughly speaking, just under thirteen million in cap space. So if they had to so deal imagine, him, if they had to deal him, they could so eat a bunch imagine, of Eric Stahl's deal. No, that's that's with Eric Stoll's eight point two five million. Yeah, so if so they, they have thirteen million in cap space, so so uh, uh, imagine if Eric Stoll left, they would have uh, over twenty million dollars in cap in cap space. So uh, they are the good news for them is they are in prime position if opportunities come up uh, to take on salary to obtain talent. I think they got to get a little farther along in their process before they start yes. doing that but it's good to know that's in their pocket i don't look for stall to be back i think he moves on i think uh i think it'll be best for both both sides i mean yeah he's gotta take take the leaving my brother behind out of it but i think i well, think I mean, that's the only that's the only reason one would think he would stay right he, or that he like they likes the town there like living down there and his brother's on the obviously his brother wasn't on the team. I think we would put the odds would go down tremendously that he would stay. The fact that his brother is on the team is, you know, is, is sure is a big pull. You know, um, um, you know, and, and also last point about that though, Carolina might be able to offer him the best contract out of any other team, or more, or be more willing to offer him, especially given all the cap space that they have. So that's something to consider too. That's true. You know, I mean, that's a good point. Day, if, and, and they can offer him a max deal. They can offer him an eight-year deal, where another team would offer him a seven-year deal. So, at the end of the day, if, if Carolina offers him, I'll just throw out a number: fifty million dollars on the next contract, and the next team's like, the best we can do is thirty-five. You might wind up staying there. It might be a financial thing to keep in mind. But uh, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be a rough year for the Devils. And um, we should mention that it's a new era for the Devils as well, because Lou Lamorell is now in Toronto. Right, I was going to say that. Uh, yeah, so um, Ronnie Francis definitely, uh, in terms of the uh, hurricane, uh, has his work cut out for him. And real quick, uh, sorry if this seems unfair, but uh, I'll throw it out there. I, am I wrong in remembering seeing some rumors about maybe relocation for Carolina? I mean, oh, I've no. heard stuff about... Definitely, definitely as, you know, we have our eyes on expansion and relocation and and everybody's opinions about who should and shouldn't be where and get teams and this and that. Uh, Carolina's attendance is, is always in the bottom five and always, always. Yeah, always in the conversation of, well, if we just take – Carolina and give them Quebec and take the Coyotes and give them to Vegas and contract Florida or get, or in two years give Florida to yeah, Seattle. Right? Then uh, those are the Florida, the Carolina, and the Coyotes. Those are the three teams when you talk about relocation as exposed to expansion that everybody wants to move into different cities. So yeah, Car- yeah. I'm just gonna look look at my statute here. Um, uh, and I highly recommend it for all hockey fans. We'll plug the hockey news, but no, not that I should have to. But the hockey news yearbook is great. Uh, Carolina last year was 29th in attendance. Yeah. At 12,700 and change. Florida, by the way, was 30th at a, le- at a little under 11,300. I remember just looking at the box scores in the newspaper during the season, Mark, last year, for during the week games in Florida. 
and I just, I, it just, my eye just caught it, you know, obviously for the box scores, they also have the attendance for the game, and I remember seeing many times Florida drawing in the 8,000s, yep. uh, half full arena during the week. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to scare uh, the fans of those teams, but uh, they, they probably know a, a heck of a lot more than we do being down there, but not going to be an issue for the league uh, for them in the next year or two but you know who knows down the line show up and support your team that's what we're saying get back out to the arena and help your boys out (laughs) new jersey new jersey is another team that's always uh bottom five in attendance too where were they last year since you have it right in front of you they were 26 but to be fair i believe they have a pretty big arena uh they were 26 and um and they were just under fifteen thousand two hundred. So that you know, fifteen thousand two hundred, and, and quite frankly, you know, they don't have you know, they don't really have a good team, um, uh, they, and they don't have an exciting team. I mean, that's the other thing. If you're a bad team, you 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 need to have whatever sport that you're in. You know, if you're a fan, you know, the NFL has just started up. If you're a team that you know you're going to take your lumps this year, but at least have uh, a, a couple of players that. People feel like, you know, it's the Jaguars and the young quarterback that they have. You have to have some excitement uh, uh, with your team. And to be fair to the Devils fans, they were not an exciting team. Uh, you know, and not a good team. And they still drew 15200 Well, Las Vegas has more season tickets sold. And we don't even have a team yet. We have more season tickets than both Carolina and Florida. <laughs> So, what does that tell you? Yeah, what mean, does I that tell it, you? It, it, it's something to watch for down the line, I, I, and uh, uh, if these, you know, how the how these teams will play out in their market. If I had to bet, I'm going to say that Seattle is going to get their arena deal figured out, and one of those two teams from the East has to come west to balance the conference if Quebec City, in fact, does get a team. Adding one in Las Vegas keeps the status quo on the imbalance conference. So if I had to bet, I would say that in a couple of years when Seattle has their arena built, that's when you can start looking at the next relocation, and it's going to be one of those two teams up to Seattle. Um, I don't have any any inside info on that, but that's just my gut feeling where they, the NHL really wants a team in Seattle. And if you could get out of one of those two markets and open up that Pacific Northwest for the TV revenue and the natural rivalry with uh, Vancouver and putting them there with the Sharks, that's uh, I know the league really wants a piece of that. And if you could escape Florida or Carolina, and I don't mean to use escape as a derogatory term, but get out and support your team. Panthers fans, Hurricanes fans, because uh, Seattle's coming, and whether they didn't make it into expansion, the NHL still is eyeing that market, and uh, you could see your team skating up in the Pacific Northwest real soon if you're not there to, to stand. So get out there and support your teams, boys. Yeah, I would make a quick comment about expansion or about relocation slash expansion too. Think about this. These, you know, in, in Quebec's case, they, you know, have a new arena. Open. They they were planning a new arena anyway, and it's uh, as you mentioned uh, a couple podcasts ago, it's opening up shortly. Um, but you know, for a new market that does, you know, that says we want to get NHL hockey, for them to pluck down, let's say this 
uh, $500 million expansion fee, and then on top of it, build a new state-of-the-art arena. I mean, those are two huge bills. Thank you, Las Vegas. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Mr. Bills. Foley. We love you. <laughs> so it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a special circumstance for someone willing to do that. Now, in Quebec's case, before even the expansion it really got hot and heavy in terms of them coming back into the league, there was a state-of-the-art arena already being built. So in their case, that was not even... In Vegas' case, uh, obviously, as you know, Mark, this would be the first ever professional sports franchise in Las Vegas. So there were special circumstances. Even though, you know, and the league wants somebody, like you said, in Seattle, for all those reasons that you stated, you know, they might say to the NHL, we want a team. We want a team bad, but you're going to have to help us along here. I'm not paying half a billion dollars in an expansion fee and then also have to pay for a state-of-the-art arena. I'm not, I can only do one. You know, so that's where a, team, where a relocation situation would come in. Absolutely. Because, uh, like I said, I don't know too many markets where they would be able to write both of those checks. Well, what happened in Quebec City is they built the Videotron Center with 100% public funding. That money came 50% from the province and 50% from the city of Quebec. So the ownership group, which is Quebecor, the media conglomerate there, um, only had to put the expansion fee up while the arena was already being built and co-owned between the province and Quebec City. Uh, and then, like you said, special circumstance. the In Las Vegas, both the arena and the expansion fee are privately funded. The MGM grant was, like you said, building the arena anyway. Uh, we've been, I mean, Thomas Mac is a great facility, but it's more than 30 years old. We've needed, and then you have the MGM Grand and the Mandalay Bay, but the logistics of those arenas and the seating capacities don't translate to an NHL or NBA event. So we've needed a new arena here for a long time, and the MGM was building it anyway. And in a conversation I had with Mr. Foley, after the market research proved that we could support an NHL franchise, after all their homework was done, the reason... And and he, he's a billionaire. He could put he could go put a team anywhere he wanted. Um, he, I asked him directly, "What made you choose Las Vegas over, say, a Quebec City?" And he said, "The fact that the arena wasn't going to have any politicians involved with it, and they were never going to have to have issues like they had in Arizona here in the off season. And they have already negotiated a long term favorable twenty five year lease with the MGM Grand." So that's what made it financially possible here in Las Vegas. And then when the population stepped up and sold as many season tickets and showed the interest that we have, that was the two factors that showed Mr. Foley that, yes, the NHL is going to work here in Las Vegas. And I think they would have the same response, if not greater, in Seattle. I know I know, the Pacific Northwest is a great, a great sports town uh, with the attendance they have. Their, their soccer team turns out twice as many fans as the next highest attendance-rated uh, MSL team. They, they bring in over 40, and the next, the, I believe the next ranking is 20,000. So their, their, sport, their sports fans in Seattle are just fantastic, and I think the NHL would work great there. They just got to get their stadium done. That's all they got. All right, so I guess we're, are we ready for prediction time? Yeah. Uh, if you want to lead it off, let me uh, – let me bring us into the next segment. A little, little sound effects here I'm trying to work into the show. 
2015-16 Metropolitan Division predictions. Chris, go. Uh, well, I feel like there are three teams that can, well, I should say, be fair. If everything broke right, there's really five teams that can win this division. But for me, there are three strong contenders for this division. That's the the Capitals, the Islanders, and the Rangers. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, and again, to me, it's going to be, you know, uh, whoever, you know, it's funny. Um, Montreal won the division last year, right? In the Atlantic, do I have that correct? Yep. But when we think of the Atlantic, you think of the Lightning because they got to the Stanley Cup final. So uh, that's really the, the, the end game. But in terms of the division, I'm going to go with Washington to win the division. Um, main reason being Barry Trotz. Another year under Barry Trotz. Uh, I liked, uh, love Justin Williams coming on board. Um, and that was a great sign to a two-year deal. At, I believe it was 3.25. Um, they did lose a little grip, but uh, it's, I like Washington to edge out to win the division. Um, in terms of second and third place, uh, I'll be fair. I'll show you how un- how by uh, un- uh, how impartial I am. Uh, I'm going to say the Rangers, uh, with their experience, their blue line, Henrik Lundqvist, uh, people like Chris Carter getting better, will finish in second. Um, and then I'll pick the Islanders for third. But I expect all three teams, like last year, to be over 100 points. And uh, and I uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, any kind of order for them in terms of one, two, and three. Of course, if my prediction holds true, uh, with the Islanders coming in third and the Rangers coming in second, that means come playoff time, round one, we would have a Islander Ranger playoff series. By the way, I would love to see uh, that. In terms of I, I as, as you remember, uh, for those who remember uh, the Atlantic podcast, I said five teams would come out of the Metro to uh, to make the playoffs. And uh, and I have Pittsburgh and Columbus uh, making the playoffs. I will probably say Pittsburgh four, and let's say Columbus five. Not that it makes a huge difference of who finishes in what wild card spot. Um, and then again, the Flyers to me are the Avalanche of the East. Uh, I you know I I can see a, a similar season of eighty to eighty five points. And unfortunately, Devils and Hurricanes fans. Um, most of your reading this year will be at the great sites of people like Hockey Futures and and whatnot, uh, reading up on the 2016 draft and hoping the ping pong balls fall your way and what happens with Eric Stahl. So uh, that's how I see the Metro. And Mark, uh, keep in mind, you, you did not pick your wild card teams when we did the Atlantic, so you have, you have to unveil your, uh, you gave us the three from the Atlantic, so uh, with your predictions, you're going to have to, Tell us who you think the two wild cards could be, because you you have not committed. Uh, no, sure you have. Uh, <laughs> I didn't see him in the Atlantic. <laughs> I didn't see him in the Atlantic. I couldn't pick him. Um, yeah. No, you know what? I'm gonna keep the Rangers on top of this division. I don't think. Uh, okay. I don't think they took as big a step back as maybe some of the some of the articles I've been reading say. They've been uh, one of the best teams in hockey for the last two years at least. And I look for them to continue. Like I said, they would have to lose five points in the standings, and the Capitals would have to gain six points to to flop up and down that way. And with New Jersey and Carolina, and I'm going to say the Flyers at the bottom of the division, um, 
and the way the schedule is now, I don't see them. Uh, I don't see the Rangers coming down that much. And I really, I think Brower and Ward leaving is going to going to hurt the Capitals. I don't think. I don't think Sochi and Williams bring the same type of game. And I loved what the what Brower and Ward brought during the playoffs. And this, you know, regular season predictions. A lot of times you can get away with a little more offense and a little less defense. But in the long run, I think those two those two players leaving hurt that franchise. Um, I will say, being tied last year with the Islanders there in third place, my little my little out on a limb moment in this division is going to be. I think the Islanders do step up and take that second spot from the Capitals just because of that. So my top three is going to be Rangers, Caps, Islanders, and then the Islanders get to host a playoff series in their new arena. Uh, against last year's Capitals, this year's Capitals. Um, I think Kessel, I think Kessel brings a whole lot to the Penguins, but if, like, like we talked about, if they have a couple injuries, it could go, it could go down in a hurry. And I've never really been sold on Andre Fleury. He's, uh, he go on a long stretch of playing some of the best goaltender in the league. And then he can disappear for 10 or 12 games and just, just go soft on you in a hurry. So I, I think I think Mark Andre Fleury is is an inconsistent goaltender that won't let the addition of Kessel catch the Capitals. So I'll put Capitals in third place, and then I'm going to put the Penguins right where they were last year, fourth place wild card, and Columbus gets it done. Columbus gets the the second wild card, which you know if they have the same injuries. We could slip back into the Atlanta and squeeze Ottawa or Boston up into that last spot, but I think I think I agree with you. Five teams from the Metro go to the playoffs, and I'm saying Rangers, Islanders, Capitals, Penguins, and Columbus squeezes in and gets that last playoff spot. That's where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, it should be like you said. It should be an exciting, to, exciting division. Very. Uh... Very well, uh, very, uh, very well contested. So, all right, Chris, that that wraps up our 2015-16 Metropolitan Division preview. Uh, let us know what you think. You can get us on Twitter at Vegas Hockey Pod, uh, or hit Chris up over at the Hockey Riders or GetRealHockey.com. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. You can catch Chris on Twitter at the NL King if you're. Uh, Looking at some fantasy baseball, he does a lot of that too. So drop us a line, let us know what you think, hit us up, and we'll be da- back next week with the Pacific Division. And, uh, Ooh, home of the LA Kings. Home of my Los Angeles Kings. Uh, we'll see where I think they're headed. Um, Chris, once again, thanks for coming along. Appreciate it. Any last thoughts? Great time. All right. Well, with that, we're going to let you let everybody go. Let us know what you think and we're gone.